appreciate so much all of you being here today and those who are listening online, as we mentioned before. And for the next little bit, I want you to consider with me several things from God's Word. We're going to continue the lesson that we started a couple of weeks ago, which is a continuation of some things we started six weeks ago, maybe. I don't know how long it's been, but uh, I want to finish this up. We've been discussing our relationship to the common culture. Very poor title, but it's the only thing I could come up with. We started off talking about, and I had some negative comments about the common culture that we live in, and I felt bad about that in a way, not that what I said was not true, but I thought, well, this is not all there is to that story, just people going away feeling negative about everything that's going on, because it doesn't tell me or you how to live in that situation, which is what we need to do. And so since there's more to the story, I've been talking a little bit more about our relationship uh, to the common culture. We first start talking about being transformed into a different kind of people. And this is what the common culture doesn't get, that Christians have been transformed by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit into something different. And we have to realize this too. I think it's something that's forgotten by a lot of people. So when the world talks about this you know, being Christians, they're, they're really referring in their own, most of the media anyway, is referring to their understanding of what the Roman Catholic Church is all about. That's the church to them, the Roman Catholic Church. That's Christianity to them, Episcopalians or Lutherans, high church people like that. Uh, and they just talk about it because, well, if you're born in Italy, you must be a Christian. If you're born in Iran, you must be a Muslim. So they have very limited definitions, understanding of what it means to be a Christian from the Bible. But we know that to be a Christian means that you have put off the world, been transformed into something different. So your thought processes and everything else are going to have to be different than they've been. And that's why the world hates us. We've seen that already in some of the verses. Because Christ said, they hated me when I came. And I don't subscribe to what they believe in, he's saying. I don't, I don't teach what they believe. I don't say what they want me to say. And so they hate me. And he says, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Now, the Bible says a lot about this. So I want to start here again with the proper attitude and understanding of what our present age is all about and then move into something, hopefully, that's a little bit less negative and more useful to you if we can finally get there. Here's what Paul told Timothy. But know this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, beginning. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. I don't think that's a prophecy of 2021, but it's certainly we do live in the last days. I just don't know how long they're going to go on. He's saying right now, after this time, this is the last days. There's no other days coming. The New Testament teaches that since Christ came, we are in the last days. And that's not the 2000s or whatever it may be that the millennials say. But in this days, men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. That's a pretty long and hard list, isn't it? But can you not see that that's the age that we live in too? 
This has become more obvious during my lifetime. I think that's what is alarming to older people like myself is that we see more items on this list that we can check off and, and put underlines under because they're so much stronger than they were 50 years ago. doesn't mean it's the worst time that's ever been. doesn't mean it's the end of time. But we see this list working itself out, which tells me that the common culture is not going in the right direction. The common culture is going in the wrong direction, in the re- direction that he's talking about here. And he says for us as Christians, turn away from these kind of people. You can't be like them. You must, you, you must have a different attitude about them that, oh, I want to be like him and find out who's hot so I can dress like this movie star and watch all the shows about the runway so you can dress and act like that. Make sure you watch all the music shows and the, and the shows on Emmy so you can imitate these people. Turn away from these people. I can't say that strongly enough to you. Turn away from these people. And the things you read in the common culture, be careful to read with a discerning eye. This is the admonition, not from a cranky old preacher. But from the scriptures, this is the admonition to you. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various... This is Jerry Springer. This is Oprah. This is Geraldo. Am I too... These are too old, aren't they? There's got to be some... I don't... I've turned away from these people, so I don't even know who the current ones are. And I'm telling you the truth about that. I can't even remember the last time I watched the nightly network news or an award show. Now, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you it's it's the only way that we can deal with some of these things. Sometimes you turn it on for curiosity, I suppose. But these and, and this is coming from someone who's been on the Jerry Springer show, who's met Jerry Springer before. That's me and Judy. You all know that story? I'll just tell you this, and I'll leave it here. Me and Judy were on the Jerry Springer show in the 1990s, and we had, and there was another woman involved too. We'll just leave it there. Okay. And that's a fact. It's just not the whole story. But anyway, huh? I'm not going to waste my time. I'll tell you some other time. It's, it's not what you think. Well, I hope you think it's not what, I, I don't know what you think. Never mind. But these people creep into the houses because they're sneaky and they try to make captives of gullible women who will believe anything. This country's full of those kind of women. And the, and they love the minute they love and they're no great shakes either. They're carried away, loaded down with sins, carried away by all kinds of desires and lusts that just seep out of the edges, filled with immorality, Always learning and never aim to come to knowledge of the truth. They just never can quite get there because they're controlled by their lusts. And, and Paul then leaves us with this negative view of the world. What are we going to do? We're living in this world. This is where we are today. Well, Peter says something about that that I want to move into. Here's Peter's analysis of this problem. Because he lived in the same world as Paul and understood the same things. In in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter goes this direction, which I think is very important for you and I to begin to take on this attitude if we haven't already. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's what we've been talking about. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. 
The key I want you to get at, get to, is this word, these two words, sojourners and pilgrims. I've preached about this before. You can probably go back on weirdchristians.com and you can get a sermon or two about this, but I want to emphasize it here. He says that we are sojourners and pilgrims as New Testament Christians in the modern era, and we have to act like that. That means that we are, in common language, we're illegal aliens, or we're even if we're legal, we're aliens. We just don't belong here, okay? And we are not from here, and we're not going to stay here. We need to make our home planning to be somewhere else because we're not staying. We're traveling through. We don't really fit in. The Jews consider themselves strangers in a strange land. And he's saying to you, since you Christians are just sojourn, you're travelers and you're pilgrims living in a hostile country, to you, then you need to be different than you could be otherwise. If this was your native country, you could live differently and more boldly than you can, but now you're a sojourner and a pilgrim, and you just can't live the same way among these people. Now, what people have tried to do in my lifetime, and I think the previous generation, I think they thought they fit in so well with the common culture. They just didn't know that Gomer Pyle was gay. They were deceived about that. They thought Liberace was just flamboyant. They didn't know he was a flaming homosexual. or They didn't want to think about that. And so they thought the 50s, 60s, 70s were just hunky-dory to live in. As Christians, we can all just fit in with all these people. But now those people are out and they're proud and they're coming after you. And so you don't fit in anymore. And you better get that through your head head that they are after you as a New Testament Christian. Your idea that the world was created by God in seven days, that's completely at odds with everything they stand for. The idea that two men, two men should not marry, that marriage is for a man and a woman and sexuality should be reserved for that relationship, that's completely at odds with everything this, this culture stands for. And yet you're living in it. The idea that you should be sober and not intoxicated all the time on something is foreign to the country that you now live in. So you found yourself now, whether you like it or not, living in a country, and I could go on and on about all those things. We just read about a list of those. The idea that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, completely absurd to the people that control this country, and, and all down through the chain. It's coming down further and further as it filters down through, through, through the school systems. That's why there's such a battle right now over the school boards and the curriculum. Because it's begun, it's already been there a long time, but now it's reaching epidemic levels of the control of, that they want, where governors of states are saying you parents have no right to have any say in the education of your children. What kind of country is that? Where do you where are you living? You're living in a hostile place. You can't live anywhere else though, because if you go to France or Germany or Africa, it'll be the same thing. Because the John says. Beloved, the whole world lies under the influence of the wicked one, under the sway of the wicked one. This is the way it is. So you have to stop thinking that, boy, if we just do this, if we just stop talking about gay marriage, or if we just stop talking about evolution, we'll just fit in, everybody will like us. It's not going to be that way ever again in my lifetime, maybe not your lifetime, because you just have to accept the fact that you're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. This isn't your home anyway. Get used to that, accept that, in fact, rejoice and be thankful that that's the case. This is not really your home anyway. You're a pilgrim. 
you're a sojourner. And here's the thing. What sometimes, I think this is unstated here, but it's very important. The behavior that is expected of a stranger in a place is different than the behavior of those who are natives to that place. Those who know. We demand that strangers act differently. You know, I can see people driving down US-1 doing things. And if I see a Florida tag, I think, well, they probably just bought that tag this week from Stewart, you know, and, and they're really from New York City. But when they drive poorly in the New York tag or the Massachusetts tag, it hits you differently, doesn't it, when they cut you off? Or is that just me? When they're rude to you in their Boston accent, and lots of nice people have Boston accents, but when they're rude to you, or tell you how great California is all the time, it kind of irks you, doesn't it? Because they're strangers. They don't really belong here. And they're coming to tell you how to act in your own place. Now, this is what he's warning you about. You are a stranger in somebody else's country right now as a Christian. And you need to realize that in everything that you do. You need to take extra caution in what you say and do and how you act because you are a pilgrim. You're going to be treated differently when they, when they finally realize when you open your mouth, somebody opens their mouth and out comes the Brooklyn accent. We're going to, we're going to think about that. Somebody opens their mouth and out comes the Christian teaching then people are going, to re- are going to react to that differently. They're going to expect something different of you. And the world expects different things of you. They expect you to live better, strangely enough, and I think I just don't think they catch the irony of it. The world expects Christians not to be hypocrites, and, they're some, and they are complete hypocrites themselves. They expect Christians to be nice and polite, and they are completely impolite and rude and lustful. But boy, let a person who claims to be a Christian have an affair, and it's the end of the world. But people in the world have them all the time. People that are having affairs object to Christians having affairs and judge them for it. Why is that? Because we're strangers in a strange land. And we have to understand that this is our, this is where we are today. It's not going to be any different the rest of your lifetime. And that's why he says, you need to have your conduct abstain from fleshly lusts. You can't have affairs, and participate in all the same things. I read about two or three so-called pastors this week being arrested for in prostitution stings and for child pornography. That's terrible. They're just people. They have the same problems and difficulties as everybody else. And they run to those kind of drugs, as it were, to ease their mind and their pain. And it's a sad situation. But the world reacts totally differently to that than the congressman. The governor of New York can do this and he'll never be indicted. And no one cares. Because he's not a Christian. But if he was a pastor, they'd be calling for his head on a plate. Now that's where we are. We can complain about that, and I do, but Peter says you need to abstain from fleshly lusts because you're my a servant of Christ. You need to have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. The word honorable means worthy of respect. 
among the Gentiles. That doesn't mean you always have to give in and say, only say nice things everybody agrees with all the time, but it means you cannot do disre- things that bring you into disrepute. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I've talked about this verse many times. This is that situation that you find yourself in at work and other places among your friends, even in your family, even your family. They will complain about you being a goody two shoes and a, a Christian and blah, 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 an ignorant, an ignorant person, uneducated. They'll say all kinds of things about you. They speak against you as an evildoer. You people all are just a bunch of secret pedophiles and on and on they'll say things about Christians. But then there comes that time and you just have to keep living and doing what's right. Trying to love, love them, do what's best for them. Because one day, God's going to visit those, those people. By visit, he means going to bring their own deeds upon themselves or life is going to collapse for them. Who are they going to turn to? Well, I'll tell you what happens. If you've been that kind of steady person in their life, in their family, and at the job or in the neighborhood, who in spite of all those things keeps doing what's right, keeps treating people right, keeps helping your neighbors and your friends, people to work, reading your Bible, and, t- and, and even if they have a chance, saying good things. When, the, when their world collapses, they're going to know who to go to some more. They're going to go to you. The day of visitation here isn't the day of judgment. What good is it doing to glorify God in the day of judgment? It's too late. That's not what he's talking about. The day of visitation is that day when their life falls apart. Who are they going to turn to? They're going to turn to that person they've been making fun of all those years who's led a steady, good, clean life that they can, and they'll say, you know what? I bet they know the answer. And they'll turn to them. This happened to people I know over and over again. It's happened to me in many ways. And so he says, this is the goal. You're a stranger. You're going to have to live like that. You're going to have to keep doing what's good and right, honorable, all through this life, being talked evil about, being thought less of, so that one day with some people, somebody somewhere will look at your life and say, can you help me? Show them the way then. Show them the light that's in Jesus Christ. Give them the what they need. And he goes on to say in verse 11, 1 Peter 2, Therefore, he says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That doesn't mean that you can't, in America where we have a free exercise of political power, we have a right to redress grievances with the government that you can't ever protest or object to what the government does. That you have to follow the, you know, the dictates of every little petty person around and do whatever they say as if they're some kind of Caesar. Our government's not set up like that. It's a violation of the government to do what they do. But he said, but you do have to be respectful of laws that are passed and of the people involved in that, whether to the king is supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. When they're praising what's done, what's right and good as governors ought to, then you you need to be with them instead of being a rebel all the time. Doesn't mean that it, I don't think it means in in a society such as ours, which is set up. See, we we think we've got this idea now that the president is the emperor. People write articles. Oh, you have to obey Caesar, and by Caesar they mean the president, Republican or Democrat or whatever. This one might be socialist, for all I know. Our system of government doesn't make the president Caesar. In fact, just one minute aside here, Julius Caesar was a traitor to the Roman Republic. He is not a hero. He took a republic 
where they voted on things in the Senate and the people had a voice in that and he became a dictator. Why do you think Brutus killed him? Et tu, Brute? Why do you think Brutus killed him? Because he was becoming a dictator over the people of Rome and they were trying to stop it. They weren't successful. After him, there were a line of dictators and the, Rome, the empire finally... And guess who? Guess who was hostile to God's people, both Jews and Christians? It wasn't the Senate of Rome. It was the emperors, those dictators. Our country is not set up so that the President of the United States is a dictator or is Caesar. On purpose, our country is not set up that way. And so we have a right to object to things that the government does. We just don't have a right to lead a rebellion and, and to incite violence. But we can certainly object. But anyway, that's another whole subject. But get out of your mind, William Shakespeare's play, that Julius Caesar was some kind of a hero. He was a traitor to the Roman Republic. Where'd that come from? I don't know. 1 Peter 2, verse 15. But this is the will of God. That by doing good, people want to know what God's will is? I'll tell you what God's will is. Here's one. God's will is that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. By doing good, by doing well, by doing what is right. As free, although, and we are free in Christ, Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. We are free people in Christ. This is why big government hates New Testament Christians so much and always has. Because they know when they try to find out that Christians don't bow to any God but the one in heaven. And that's not good enough for them. Our government right now is set on a course to make people bow the knee to the government at all costs. This isn't good. I don't care what party it's coming from. It's not a good thing. And Christians are not happy about that. They shouldn't be because we only have one king, and it's not Caesar, and it's not the government of the United States. And they know this. But he says, this liberty that you have as a Christian, as a free man in Christ, you can't use this as a cloak to cover your own wickedness just to do what you want to do and to flout your nose at everything that's good, but you need, you're a bond servant of God. You are a servant of God. He doesn't want you acting in a malicious, crude, violent, vulgar way. Honor all people, whoever they are that you meet. Give them honor and respect as human beings. I'll tell you what, your friends and neighbors don't honor all people. They only honor those that they think are like them or those that are not getting in the way at the moment. You as a Christian, wherever you go, you have to honor all people and give them respect. Rich or poor, whatever they may be, you have to give them respect. Love the brotherhood. Love the, love other Christians. Show kindness and goodness. Fear God and honor the king. Show him the respect he deserves as he exercises the authority that God gave him. So he goes on to say then, in verse 22, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as from the Lord, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Now listen to this. this is, there's a lot in this verse. This is talking about all you people that have a job, who work, who go to an employer, 
or work even for yourself. When you, when you work for yourself, you're really under the bondage of other people, aren't you? Decide everything you're going to do. So you're not free when you work for yourself. You're really in bondage. But in any event, these are bond servants. You have an obligation to go and work for somebody else. These are ordinary people. We might even say these are the ordinary poor people of the world, which more, almost all of us fit into. Everybody in this church does, as far as I can tell. Are you one of these bond servants here? Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. You have people that are over you in the flesh and fleshly things. You need to be obedient and respectful to them. Not with eye service. I'll tell the story. There's an old commercial years ago for Aqua Velva. Do they still sell Aqua Velva aftershave? It's pretty good stuff. It's almost as good as Brute or English leather, you know. But Aqua Velva is an aftershave. You can go buy these legacy aftershaves on the internet if you want to pay good big money for them. Old Spice. I love Old Spice. Does that mean I'm old? No. It has old in the name. So there you go. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, young people, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, go find these fragrances and smell them, okay? Anyway, Aqua Velva commercial. Here's a secretary sitting in an de- office full of people, sitting in her desk, she's filing her nails, everybody's talking, sitting on desk, drinking coffee, they're not paying any attention. She goes, he's coming. And they all run back to their desk, they're all typing away, she's busy, and in comes the boss. He looks around and he says, I can't understand Nothing ever gets done here and you people are working like crazy. And he leaves. And the the commercial was, don't let your aftershave arrive before you do. Okay? And so the next scene is, he wears aqua velva. It's nice and calm. He just walks in and goes, aha! And she throws up her, you know, nail clippers and all this stuff because she'd been caught. This is being, a, doing eye service. You only work if the boss is looking at you. That's eye service. Know anybody like that at your job or where you work, wherever you work? Well, the only people, the only time they work is when the boss is standing over them and they think they might get caught or under some kind of surveillance. They're men pleasers. They don't care about the boss or business, but boy, when the boss is around, they act like they're the greatest admirer. They don't do anything else. You know these people. The world's always been full of them. Christians cannot be like that. We have to work in sincerity of heart, fearing God. God's the real boss. We're strangers in that regard. We are at, from a foreign country when you believe that now, as it were. I'm not sure they're any better in foreign countries really, but we're from a strange land who believe that we ought to do what's right because we're supposed to do it, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. When you go to your job and do what you're supposed to do, whether the boss is looking or not, you do the right thing and, and serve him honorably. The Lord is seeing that. He's noticing that. And you'll receive the reward from him if you do that. But if you do wrong, poor, rich or poor, there's no partiality here. You can't say, well, I'm a poor man. I get to do this. I don't get paid enough, so I get to do this. He says, no, there's no partiality. If you do wrong by not serving your master, you're going to be repaid by the Lord. Not by him. He may never catch you. But the Lord knows. And he doesn't care if you've got a lot of money or not. You're a Christian. You have to do the right thing. That, that has a big impact. Now, will this make you well-liked at work? That's the problem. No. It not won't necessarily make you well-liked. 
because you're exposing them. Just not by not even saying a word. You just doing your job without being told and doing the best you can, trying to be honest, have integrity. You're going to cause some people to hate you for that. It's going to make life hard on you. What are you supposed to do? Well, he says they can get away with it because they're not Christians, but you are. So be careful what you do. And then he tells masters. Some of you are the boss. Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You think you're the master, you're not the master. There's a master in heaven. And if you're a Christian, whether you're, you have to treat people right all the time who are under your control, under your power, you must make sure that you do what is just and fair to them. That's your spiritual obligation. I don't care what the government says, what OSHA says, what the union says. That doesn't matter in the end. It's what the Lord says you have to do this just and fair. That's your responsibility. Now, these are important scriptures because they tell us how to live among our neighbors and friends in the way that in the long run will cause us to be respected. It's never going to happen with some people. I don't think this means that if we just do these things, the world's going to suddenly decide, oh, we all like Christians, are all so great. That isn't what he's saying. He's saying you've got to do these things and you got to do them because I'm the master that you live in, and you, I know that you're in a strange country, and you're going to be mistreated, and that's okay. You're my servants, even if you're mistreated. Now let's go one more step here. What about the Christian's attitude toward his neighbors? I will not tell you that this is a well-organized diatribe, or whatever you want to call it, sermon this morning, uh, but this is the category I put next. The Christian attitude toward our neighbors. Read this. Let's start off with the same negative place again. Here's here's Second Peter two talking about judgments of God, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards should live ungodly. Do you think Sodom and Gomorrah are an example to anybody living ungodly today? They laugh. Here the flood, God gave a rainbow at the end of this on this whole process of the flood to tell man he wouldn't destroy them again with water. And we make that flag the symbol of gay pride and wave it around, that rainbow flag. I don't know what God thinks about that. But he delivered righteous Lot. Here's what I want to talk about. Righteous Lot, who was oppressed, that's greatly distressed is the word, by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds. What do you, why do you expect it's going to be any different with you? Is this not the world that we live in today and, going to go, and going forward going to get worse? Not everybody that's your neighbor, but you're living in a world, Lot had neighbors. And the neighbors, the way they, act, the way they acted toward God and toward him, greatly distressed his soul and vexed his soul from day to day. Because he had to see their wickedness, understand that it was bad, and realize even personally that they were destroying themselves. God was going to destroy them. And God did, did eventually destroy them. He was vexed by this. I think this goes with this passage where he says that we should pray for our kings and those in high place, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. This is what Lot did not have because of the people around him, a quiet and peaceable life. He was vexed from day to day. And some, and it's, I, I tell you, friends and brothers, it's, sisters, it's going to get worse. 
It's not going to get better. We can elect whoever we want to elect political office. This is this rot is from the bones. It's from the inside. It's from the top down. I don't care who you put in office. This tide is not going to turn back, in my opinion. That's my opinion. And our souls are... Sh- Here's the thing. Your soul should be vexed when you see things like this. It should be upset. Too many people that call themselves Christians are not upset when they see the White House lit up with the gay pride flag. Too many people called Christians are not upset when they see the wickedness in our country. They're not upset when their children are taught about all these things as being good and right. They should be upset. Their soul should be vexed. But it's not. I hope you're not that kind of person. Now, the response, though, is not anger in the sense of hostility all the time to everybody that you meet, calling people names, insulting people. That's not the response. Notice what Paul says. Second Timothy, a verse I've talked about many times before too, but that's too bad. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Some of these verses just fit the day we live in, and that's why I use them sometimes for too many times. They just fit the day. There's other scriptures that 10 10 years now will fit, and we'll use those repeatedly too. Trust me, if I live that long. Servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Here's a man teaching someone, Timothy, living in that kind of world that he talked about. Serve the Lord must not quarrel, must not always be arguing with everybody about everything, but be gentle to all, able to teach. There's the teaching. Patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to him to do his will. Now I want you to think about this, what this says. This verse is extremely important on this subject we're talking about, your view of the world and how you're going to live in this society we're living in. Notice what it says. It isn't pretty, but it's useful. Our friends and neighbors are held captive by their sins. It isn't a mistake. They're not living with some kind of a syndrome. Our friends and neighbors are held captive by their sins, and too many Christians are joining them in that captivity. They, they start off, as Peter says, fine, and then they go back and eat the vomit, the dog, like a dog eating its vomit. They go back into the world, Peter says. Too many Christians do that. But our friends and neighbors are held captive. And they are living in ignorance of the truth. He says that they are ignorant of this. They do not know what's wrong. They experience so many bad things and they write in to get help for it and all this and they don't even know why and what's causing the problem. They live in ignorance. This this should cause us not anger but a sadness for the people, a compassion. So many people that I see are living in ignorance of what's really ruining their life and making them unhappy. And, and, And the other problem is, here's the real problem, huge percentages, probably the majority of people living in this condition of being held captive are not unhappy about it. They're not unhappy. They think they've got a great life, probably because they're living in America, for one thing, and they got all that they ever could want, if not more. As soon as they unload those cargo ships, they're going to have plenty of more stuff whenever that's going to happen. We just can't wait to get our stuff. 
I got something coming from China now, and I have no idea what's going to get here. I'm very upset about that. I can't tell Judy what it is because it's anyway. She don't even know. It's very very cheap, honey. It's very cheap. Didn't cost it anyway. It's sitting in some place in transit. It tells me from Wuhan or wherever since the 18th of October. We want next day delivery. But they're living in the ignorance of the truth. Think about what that means to how you treat them. How do you treat an ignorant person? Do you shame them? Do you just yell at them and insult them? No, you, you teach them. You show them what they need. You don't, you're not hostile to an ignorant person. They're being held captive by the devil. They've been taken over. They can't escape easily. They're held captive by the devil. Is that how you view your friends and neighbors who are not Christians, who are sinning against God openly? You should. He says they need to come to their senses and repent. Wow, that's a whole new thing. Imagine having that attitude that my friends and neighbors, instead of me hating them and and criticizing, or trying to be like them, trying to imitate them, that's even worse. I just have to understand that, that what they need is to come to their senses and realize the situation they're in and what's wrong with what they're doing, and they need to turn and repent. That should bring uh, our heart, bring a heart of compassion to that. That's why he says, we must humbly and gently and patiently teach. There's about three sermons there. And influence and correct them if they are to be saved. The only way these people can be saved, the only way, well, the main way he's talking about here is that if we will humbly in humility Gently and patiently instruct or teach them, influence them. We can correct them if they're to be saved. And they may not be. But that's the only way it's going to happen. He doesn't say that we should sit around every day and harangue and harass and criticize and shame and and be hostile toward everybody that's against the Lord. It's fine to point those things out to the leaders of this movement. You know, Jesus treated the leaders, the Jewish leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees different than he did the people that met on the street. That's okay for us to say what we're going to say against the leaders of this rebellion against God in our culture. But when we meet our friends and neighbors down on the street, this is the way we have to act toward them with a compassion, understanding, and a gentleness and a patience that is often missing because we get so upset about what we see around us and what they're doing. That's why Paul says here in in Colossians 4, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Count your day, count what you're doing. Think about how you can make things effective and work. Walk in wisdom. Let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Grace just means goodness, kindness. That's what the word grace here means. It's not some special religious word. It means kindness and goodness. Season with salt. So you put a little bit of seasoning on it so it'll go down easier and taste a little better. You can bring me any meal you bring me in a restaurant or Judy. First thing I grab is a salt shaker, put some salt on it. That's the way I was raised. Okay? Everything needs more salt. Even if it's perfect as it is, Judy. And that's what he's saying here. You salted my stuff. I thought it was perfect when I brought. No, I already salted. I know, but I'm just going to guarantee that it's right. When you say something, it should be seasoned with salt. 
You should think about how it's going to taste, how it's going to go down, and make it go down as easy as it can go and make people, make people glad that you said what you said. You don't have to be sweet and nice and positive. You don't have to pat them on the back for being an adulterer. But you can say what you need to say so they can go down in a way that can be understood, if possible. That you may, and sometimes you just have to pray. I don't know how many times I sat outside somebody's house and sat there in my car and prayed, help me figure out how to say something that might be useful. I pray that, pray that all the time in conversations. It apparently doesn't do me much good, but, um, this is what we ought to be praying and talking about, thinking about. And so then I want to conclude with these words again. The serve of the Lord in response to the common culture, which is wicked and will be judged by God somewhere down the line. The judgment is coming. It's not for me to bring the judgment. God will bring the judgment in His day and time, but He will bring the judgment against this world that we live in. Serve the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. We need, we need to see them who they are. They need compassion and sympathy and help. If perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. That's because, because they're ignorant of the truth right now. That they may come to their senses. You feel sorry for someone who's not in their right mind. And escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. It's an important verse for us to remember. Let's go about our business this week and from now on thinking more carefully about how we react to the world around us in spite of the wickedness. We can see the wickedness. We ought to see it. hope we see it. But we also ought to understand how we react to people. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate that. I'm sorry I went so long. But we're going to close our assembly this morning with a song that Brother Gary has selected. uh, Number 454. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can save us. Something else the world completely rejects. We know that nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can save you. So if this morning, if you participate in these kinds of sins we've talked about, in that kind of world, come out of that world. Come to the blood of Christ. Be cleansed. Made a new creature. Transform your life. You'll be made into something different. And you'll have a hope of heaven. Hope of eternity with God. Without that, nothing but destruction awaits you. Can we help you today? Come to the front this morning. If we can, let's stand and sing.